Everybody doing okay? Thank you guys so much for honoring us. You don't have to do it. Acts chapter 1. You know when you open your Bible and the pages are torn, you have kids, okay? Little sinners is what they are. <laughs> Last night we were praying and we were leaving the church and my two oldest daughters were with us. And um, we were walking out the door and I said, well, what would you guys pray for? And my four-year-old said, Dad, we don't pray. She said, we love God, but we don't pray. It's probably true for a lot of the church. <laughs> so. All right, let's pray over the word. Father, we need you. We love you. Where my mind was caught this week on Jesus responding to Satan in his wilderness temptation and saying to Satan, it's not by bread alone that man lives, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And Lord, we just declare that afresh. It's not bread alone that gives us strength. It's your word. It's your breath. Like Sue said this morning, it's seeing you and knowing you and hearing you. Lord, we're weak. We're frail. Lord, we're carnal. We need your spirit to come and lead us, breathe on us. Lord, the flames of our hearts grow stale and tired. Breathe on us again. Stir the embers of our souls with your holy word. Lord, so we don't, we don't expect to be moved by intellect or speech. We expect to be moved by the spirit. And Lord, it's my deepest prayer that when we leave here today, we wouldn't say we heard great songs or we heard great preaching, but we would say our eyes beheld the glory and the beauty of Jesus. And that's all that matters. So let the cross of Christ be lifted up. Lord, I just remind every heart this morning that it's by the blood of Jesus that our shame is eradicated. Lord, you washed us, cleansed us. We're adopted and loved fully because of your great mercy. Receive glory and honor, we pray. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Okay, Acts 1, we're going to pick up in verse 12 this morning. Up to this point, we've discussed Jesus's instruction to the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. The second week in this series, we discussed the ascension and all the implications of Jesus ascending to the right hand of God. And today, we'll, we'll look at the disciples for the first moment without Jesus. Jesus is now officially ascended to the right hand, and now we find the disciples, not left to themselves, obviously, but, but in a new season, in a season of being without Jesus in the flesh. The disciples will leave the Mount of Olives, the place of the ascension, and together they will huddle in a room, in an upper room, to pray. And we can't say enough about the necessity of prayer. The, the first thing the disciples do when Jesus ascends is they huddle together to pray. Prayer is foundational to the Christian life. It's essential. If you have any intent on accomplishing all that God has called you to accomplish, you need to learn to pray. Oh, you know that the Moravians um, held a hundred-year-long prayer meeting. From generations, they passed along the torch of prayer. The, the, when one finished praying, another one would know to show up. And they prayed for a hundred years. And John Wesley was set on fire as he met some Moravians on a ship coming from America to England. And William Carey, who we call the founder of modern missions, he's the great Baptist uh, founder of modern missions, he once wrote this. 
see what the Moravians are daring, and some of them British like ourselves, and many only artisans and poor. William Carey, who we call the founder of the modern missions movement, looked at his Baptist brothers and sisters and said, look how bold and courageous those Moravians are. Look what they're doing, and they're just as poor as you are. They carry a boldness and a courage. By the time the modern missions movement began, the Moravians already had hundreds of missions outposts all over the world. The Moravians inspired the Baptists. The Moravians inspired the Methodists. The Moravians shook the world with prayer. I think we need to get back to our roots, get back to our foundation, and grab hold of God again in prayer. So let's read, and we'll watch the disciples' first decisive move as Jesus ascends to heaven. Where did they go? What did they do? Why did they do it? And, and we won't read a large chunk of scripture today, but we'll just try to think through it kind of slowly and systematically. Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Barth Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brothers. Then, after the ascension, They've gazed upon Jesus ascending to the right hand. Remember two angels appear and say, Why do you stand looking into the sky the same way in which you saw Jesus go? He will come. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, the Mount of Olives. It's a Sabbath day's journey from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem where they were headed. The Jews were allowed to travel about three quarters of a mile at most on the Sabbath. And so it was a short walk. It was less than a mile. They walked from the Mount of Olives down over the Kidron Valley back into Jerusalem. When they find themselves in Jerusalem, they enter the city. They do not preach. They don't witness of the great miracle that they've just seen. Jesus rising on the clouds of heaven. They didn't head home to rest because I wouldn't want rest after that kind of experience. They didn't go to meditate and collect their thoughts they didn't run to their neighbors to begin to talk. That's what, that's what my wife would do. She'd be ready to talk about it. She thinks that's funny. Y'all, so forgive me. They've been told where to go, but not what to do. Wait in Jerusalem. Just wait. Wait is a passive command. Wait in Jerusalem. I like to wait with a book in my hand. I like to wait with snacks. I like to wait in peace and quiet. It's hard to do with four kids. I like to wait with my hands folded, lean back in, in a comfortable chair. That's how I like to wait. There are a million different ways to wait. What does it mean to wait? Wait in Jerusalem. Well, waiting is a passive command. You can find some leisure in waiting. When I was younger, I loved when a boss would leave me somewhere and tell me just to wait. Yeah, that's wonderful. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. But these disciples, men and women alike, seem to instinctively know that what they are to do is to pray. Jesus did not say, pray in the upper room. He said, wait. Yet somehow, prayer was so fundamental to who they were that they all gathered united in one common goal, to pray. 
Well, how did they know to pray? Why would they pray? Because they've just been following Jesus for three years. And Jesus prayed. Jesus was a man of great prayer. Jesus lived his entire life in prayer. He'd rise early in the morning up on a mountain to pray. Before he chose his 12 disciples, he spent all night long in prayer. Before he had to make a big decision, he prayed all the way through the night. When he faces the greatest trial of his life, the cross, where he will shed his blood for our salvation, he lays in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays. He wrestles with God in prayer. And when he stands up from the place of prayer, when his betrayers stand before him, he looks them in the face with boldness and says, who is it that you seek? He gets up from the place of prayer with courage, boldness, confidence to confront those who come to take his life. I used to teach a lot, and I think it's really fascinating. that What I would call the highest moment of Jesus' life, I would say, is the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus on the mountain is transfigured into all of his heavenly glory before the disciples. Luke tells us that the disciples were asleep. Jesus was praying, the disciples are asleep. The highest moment of Jesus' life, the disciples sleep. And the lowest moment of Jesus' life in Gethsemane, when Jesus prays, cries out, Oh God, if you're willing, if you can, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done and not mine. When he's sweating great drops of blood in agony and prayer, the disciples slept. They sleep through the highest moment. They sleep through the lowest moment. Do you sleep? Or are you awake spiritually in prayer? Leonard Ravenhill used to say on a regular basis that the disciples never asked Jesus to teach them to preach. The disciples never asked Jesus to teach them to raise the dead. The disciples never asked Jesus to teach them to cast out demons. The only thing they ever asked him was, teach us to pray like you pray. And he'd say, no man is greater than his prayer life. Why prayer? Why would the disciples run to prayer? Prayer is at its very core a confession of weakness. Men who see themselves strong in their own eyes, they know nothing of prayer. No man boasts in his prayer life because he understands that to pray is to confess that you're weak. If Adam and Eve fell to temptation in before a fallen state, in paradise, any man with common sense would know that he needs to live in prayer in order to stand. We've got to learn to put on the armor of God, to put on Christ and put off the flesh. I've got to die to my sinfulness. I I need to pray because I'm weak. Prayer is at its very core a confession of weakness. And prayer is at its very core a confession of the majesty and the power of God. So in prayer, when I hit my knees in prayer, I am confessing to my inner man and and to heaven. I know that without you, I have nothing to offer. I know there are trials, temptations, hardships coming my way that I don't have the grace to withstand. I know there's a calling on my life that I can't cause to come to pass without a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know I need you, God. I know I've got to have you. The church is too confident in the flesh. We're carnal. Prayer at its very core says, I need you, God. Prayer is the highest expression of high theology. Oh, you could say, I have a really high theology. I believe God is the almighty. I believe in the omnipotence of God, the omnipresence of God, the omniscience, the omnibenevolence of God. I believe God is all in all. You could say that and you would be precisely right. God is all of those things. But until you pray, you don't believe them. It's the same thing of picking your political figure and saying, my my politician is going to change the nation. My politician is the greatest person to ever exist and then not voting. It's like, okay, 
If you, prayer is the highest expression of high theology. It's when we really begin to believe what we say we believe. When our confession leaves the place of confession and enters into the place of experience and action. Why don't we pray? That seems plain to me because we believe we've got things figured out and under control. We believe ourselves to be strong. And we tell one another, you're strong. We tell one another, you're able. You can do anything. I want to tell you today, you're weak. You're frail. Hit your knees in prayer. The only way you'll ever stand strong is if the Spirit of God comes upon you. Our, our ministry, oh, forgive me because I don't want to sound crucial, critical. Um, there's such a fine line there. Um, but but our, the ministry in the West is weak and frail because it's not bathed in prayer. And in our ministry, my ministry, my preaching is weak. It is garbage. It, is, it has nothing to offer you without being bathed in prayer. I can't convince you. I can't articulate truths in a way that will move your heart. Your hearts are hard and cold unless the Spirit of God breathes on them. We've got to be shaken. And the fact that we don't live lives of prayer says to me we think that we've got this thing under control. Dig deep. Press on. Why don't we pray? Maybe it's because... Not because we think we're strong, but maybe some of us don't pray because we don't believe God actually loves us. God has one weakness. This is, in, uh, oh, prayer book said this, and don't take this the wrong way. God, God has one weakness, if you will, and he invites you to expose it, to exploit it. He says that when, those, when, when children come begging for bread, he can't help but act. He tells us parables like this. There was a man who was asleep in bed in the middle of the night, and his neighbor comes pounding on the door. Give me bread. Give me bread. I've got to have bread. And he says the man eventually gets up, not because he wants him to have bread, but because he's tired of the knocking. And God invites us. He says, knock on my door. Think about Elisha and that widow who was going to starve and she comes to Elijah and says, my husband has died and the creditors come. They're going to take all I have and take my sons and sell us to slavery. And Elijah says, do this. Go, go get as many empty vessels as you can get. Just gather all the emptiness you can find and then bring it and, and pour the oil into the next vessel, into the next vessel. And God will just keep filling all of your emptiness. I think God is saying to us saints, come to me empty. Come to me broken, come to me hungry, come to me desperate. I can't help but pour myself out on hungry and desperate children. God never turns away the poor. He says the broken and contrite, he will not deny. God has a soft spot, soft spot for weak and needy children. Learn to pray, friends. Learn to cling to his garment. Learn to cry out to a father who really cares, loves There they are. <laughs> I'd like to, for a moment, ask you to imagine with me what these prayer meetings there in the upper room looked like, what they felt like. I'd like to just imagine for a moment. First, how do you think that they prayed? Now, I'm absolutely inferring here, but we know from, um, we know from early church history that 
James, for instance, we've talked about this in the past. James, who would be the half-brother of Jesus, church history, calls him camel-kneed James, or James the camel-kneed. So James's knees and his elbows were so deformed because he spent so much of his life on his knees and elbows on the ground praying that when he was martyred, the young disciples walked by James and wanted to touch his rough knees. And so we know that the disciples in the early church, they prayed on their knees and with their elbows dug in. We know from church history that men often prayed with lifted hands, exalted arms. Now, I understand, and so don't hear me manipulating at all. I understand that we all have different temperaments. And some of us, we, we are a little more laid back and somber in our temperament. And, and it's not that because you don't jump and dance, you're not really in prayer. My point is just this. This is my whole point. Is if everyone in the church, if our church prayer meetings are just people sitting with nice folded hands. I don't think we're praying like the early church. I understand that some of you might have a temperament that's a little more lean back and you're, in your spirit there's hot fire and I get that. So don't hear me saying you've got to pray a certain way or you're not praying. I'm just saying that I don't think our prayer meetings look like their prayer meetings. I imagine them on their knees. I imagine their hands exalted. I imagine some pace. 120 people in an upper room. Did they sit in a circle like we sit in circles? Or were they laid out on the ground with their faces in the carpet crying? Paul talks about men and women who groan in the Spirit. They don't have the words to pray. Romans chapter 8, you can look that up later. They don't know the words to pray, but the Spirit Himself gives them a groan to pray. And so they cry deeper than words. I don't think he's talking about tongues there. He's talking about a deep cry in the Spirit where all you can do is say, Oh God! I think that they really lifted their voices. And maybe there were moments of loud prayer where they cried out and then maybe the Spirit settled and there were moments where they just sat in, in silence and in awe. I think they really prayed is my point. I think we've settled into this state of kind of coldness where our prayer meetings have to be nice and eloquent. I don't think that the disciples were eloquent at all. I don't think those fishermen knew what it was to be proper. I think their prayers were direct. And then imagine with me for a moment, what kind of prayers would they have prayed? Let me tell you what I don't think they prayed. I don't think they prayed, God, keep us healthy, fat, and happy. I don't think their prayer meeting was gathering together and listing off all of their needs. Was, well, I need a new job, and I need peace, and my mother-in-law's angry at me, and so I need to pray. There's nothing wrong with that, but that wasn't the heartbeat of the prayer meeting. You hear me? There's a place... Forgive me because I'm just talking. There is a place in, in prayer where you bring your needs before God, and that's perfectly appropriate. A place where you say, God, my family, um, maybe there's this trial or this sickness, bring us healing. There's a place in prayer where you say, God, I'm, I have anxiety and fear, bring me peace. There's a place in, pra in prayer where you say, God, give us rest, keep us safe. There, all of that is good. But there's a deeper place in prayer where you start to pray things that are God-centered. God, let your kingdom come. Let the fire of the Spirit birth something in our community. There's a place in prayer where you start to say, pour me out for your glory. I'll go anywhere. I'll say anything. Don't keep me safe, God. Keep me hot. Don't keep me happy, God. Keep me hot. Keep me desperate. Keep me passionate. Keep me alive. And again, there's nothing, nothing at all wrong. So don't hear me. There's nothing wrong with having a prayer list and prayer needs. We should cover each other in our needs. But if we never get to the deep place in prayer where Jesus says, even in Gethsemane, he says, if, if you can, God, take this cup. And then he says, but nevertheless, for, nevertheless, your will, not my will. 
which you want, cause it to come to pass. P.T. Forsyth, a classic on prayer, he said that prayer is both a grace and a duty. I found this to be true. I wouldn't say that I've excelled in prayer. I think I'm growing in prayer. Prayer is a grace that, that you learn to grow in. Prayer is both a grace and a duty, meaning that God himself, in, when you really begin to excel in prayer, where it feels like you're on the carpet and you're crying out, and it's as if I'm soaring on eagle's, eagle's wings. It's as if the words are just coming and flowing. God himself gives us the prayers to pray. God himself sharpens our minds. Any man or woman who excels in prayer, they're not proud of their prayer life because they understand that it's a grace. God himself breathes on my prayer life. Yet prayer is also a duty. There are times where I lay on the ground and pray and I have nothing to say, but I don't get up anyway. Prayer is a duty in that it takes work. Yes, it takes setting aside time. It takes being willing to look, look funny and feel uncomfortable. Prayer is both a grace and a duty. We need the Spirit of God to pour Himself out on us and teach us to pray. This year, I've prayed one prayer more than any other prayer, and my single prayer has been, God, make me a praying man. I don't want to be remembered as a great preacher. I don't want to be remembered as a great teacher. I don't want to be remembered as a great pastor and kind. I want my kids to remember my prayer life. And so I lay on the ground and I pray, oh God, move me. My kids cut laps. They don't pay a lick of attention to me. But I pray when they're 30 and they're 40 and they raise their own kids, I pray they're haunted by the sound of their dad praying. Remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, both in the temple praying. And the Pharisee says, thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector. Now, you could say the Pharisee prayed. He technically communicated something towards God, but he did not pray. It's one thing to communicate things towards God, but just communicating things like that, that's not actual prayer. You can, you can worship. I've said this to you before. I'll say it to you again. You can come in this room. You can sing the songs. You can even lift your hands and never really worship. Because worship is not the act of melodies falling from your lips. Worship is the act of bringing your heart to a posture to adore Him. And you can go to a prayer meeting or you can fold your hands and you can allow words to fall off your lips just like this Pharisee did in the temple and never really pray. In the real place of prayer, in the secret place of prayer, in the upper room of prayer, you begin to declare boldly and freely, God, you alone are holy. I am weak and frail. You alone be magnified. You alone receive glory. Men of prayer pray things like, ring me out for your glory, God. All of my life is in your hands. Bend me, stretch me, use me. Just don't leave me dry. What kind of prayers did they pray in the upper room? Oh, they didn't pray prayers of modern prosperity preaching. I think they prayed, give us boldness and courage, Lord. Give us the boldness to stand in the face of persecution. Give us the fire to carry this gospel to the four corners of the earth. Purge us, God, of selfish motives. I think they prayed, teach us, God, to be living sacrifices. Put your fire on us and in us. Just be glorified. Just be exalted. Let every knee bow to the name of Jesus. I think they prayed, we're empty vessels. Pour us out. Ring us out. Fill us with your spirit. Do you pray those kinds of prayers? 
Do you pray the kinds of prayers that are totally focused on God's glory and God's purposes and God's kingdom coming and being established? Now, Paul tells us this. He says that the mind of the unbeliever is veiled by the God of this world. Meaning that every unbeliever that you try to share the gospel with, there's a work of, of Satan that blinds them. Their, their spiritual eyes, if you will, are unwilling, to, unable to see. And so in evangelism, there's a place where we begin evangelism itself with prayer. And we start to pray, God, open eyes. God, open ears to hear. Lord, remove the veil that's blinded people from being able to perceive the gospel. I pray, Lord, make my words sharp that pierce and Jesus tells us that we are to that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. Church, do you pray, God, we need revival in this region. We need revival in this nation. Raise up laborers. Do you pray, God, make me a laborer? Old young friend of ours, African-American woman, was preaching, teaching once, and I, this is ingrained in my memory. She was standing behind a podium like this and she says she says i pray often that god would make me a laborer she says i want my sweat to bless him i want my tears to bless him i want my blood and my agony all my energy energy to bring his kingdom she says i pray god make me a laborer for your kingdom is that what you pray or do you pray keep me healthy god because i'm so afraid of being sick give me peace god because i hate turmoil Oh, when you put your hand to the plow and you really begin to labor, there are seasons of turmoil. There are seasons where all of hell rises up to oppose you. I've felt that in recent days where, this, where spiritual warfare comes and the enemy does everything he can to intimidate and to distract. But in prayer, I learn to stand, to put on the armor of God, dig my heels in. In prayer, I'm strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. In prayer, I have the courage to look the enemy in the face and say, Jesus alone is my Lord and master. In prayer, I have the courage to get up and preach again. We see, prayer and evangelism are intricately yoked. And so it's impossible to be a church that really wants to see the kingdom of God come in our land and to not be a church of prayer. Because in prayer, you win the victory before you ever begin to open your mouth and share. The Holy Spirit alone can quicken hearts. In prayer, we cry out and we say, God, put your spirit on us. In prayer, we die to our flesh so that when we are rejected, we don't crumble Have you prayed, make me a laborer, raise up laborers? Again, we exist in a broken world, and there are problems and needs. There's nothing wrong with praying for help. There's nothing wrong with praying for God to bless your, your work. There's just deeper things to pray. Don't stop there. Dig deeper. I want you to begin to pray. God, teach me what it means to be a living sacrifice. Teach me what Paul meant when he said that by the Spirit I have to put to death the flesh. Teach me, God, what it means to burn. The Moravians used to pray this. This was one of their mantras. Jesus, you're worthy to receive the reward of your suffering. Jesus, you're worthy to receive the reward of your suffering. The Lamb has overcome. Let us follow Him, they would say. 
I think God is looking for men and women who will stand in the gap on their knees and pray, let this community, let this region bow and crumble before the cross. Let the gospel pierce the heavens. Let the gospel pierce hearts. Raise up men and women, not just in this church, but in this region, in every church in this region, who will preach faithfully and boldly under the anointed hand of the Holy Ghost. Raise up men and women who are passionate, awake, alive, When you begin to pray beyond yourself and into the kingdom, I think those are the kinds of prayers that these men prayed in the upper room. And they were told to wait, wait in in Jerusalem, yet they wait in a place of prayer. The scripture says that they were united in prayer. All hands were on deck. There weren't a few intercessors. Oh, it's said, it's, it's often said that the prayer meeting is the least attended meeting in the church. And pastors know that. And just to fill you in on where my mind is and where we're going as a church, we, we came into 2020 going, we're going we're gonna to try to step up our prayer meetings. And we've stepped up a bit. But obviously, COVID stopped any kind of meetings for a while. Um, but in, in, in the coming days, we're going to press into to prayer meetings. And I had a conversation with our staff this week, and we talk about the need to be a praying church. And I told them, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. I know you give that prayer meeting six weeks and it'll dwindle down. The prayer meeting is the thermostat of the church. If our prayer meeting dwindles to two or three people, all that says is that we're cold. We're cold. Watchman Nee used to say that when a Christian really finally gets his temperature up and feels awake, everyone else in the room says, oh, he's got a fever. And so uh, when, we, when we transitioned some of our roles, so remember Michael was our worship pastor and we transitioned him to handle some more administrative things that were lacking. When we brought Pastor Seth on, one of the things we said was, Pastor Seth is going to be commissioned to lead us in prayer, to make sure that we are a praying church, to beat the gong. You've got to pray. You've got to make sure you're praying. And so that was was one of our strategic moves, and you're going to see some more of that play out in the coming days, especially as we have more liberty to meet. I think they prayed the prayers of the hungry. I think they prayed prayers like Jesus alone be glorified. I think they prayed, let no man receive glory. Let every eye adore Jesus. I think they prayed prayers like, let every nation come. And again, they were united in it. Jesus comes into the temple and there's men and women with tables and they're, they're selling. They're, what they're doing is selling sacrifices at an upped rate from travelers from out of town. And so they're making the, the outer courts of the temple a place um, of commerce. And Jesus comes to the temple and he throws over the table and he demands, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. A house of prayer. If you call this church your home, I want to ask you to go with me to the place of prayer. I understand that not every prayer meeting will work with your schedule. I understand that that our family's needs are different, but I'm asking you to stir up your heart and your affections to pray. I want to lead a church that's alive and awake. I don't want to leave a I don't want to lead a dead, stale church. I'll stand before God one day for how this church lives. Don't hang me out to dry, friends, please. Wake up with me. Cry with me. Let's see God move in this city. 
Worship team, if you guys would come, somebody come for me. You can go ahead and stand to your feet if you're able. I want to do a few things this morning, just a few things. If you're here, Brad, altar team, would you guys just kind of get in, get in place? If you're here and you've felt at all like, man, I feel like the Spirit is really calling me to a place of prayer. I really feel like I need to step up my prayer life. I want to ask you to come to the altar today. And just get on your knees and let's begin to pray that God would really awaken you. Um, the, just, I know that we've always got new people with us. Just so you know, the altar for us, for us is very normal. It's not a place to be embarrassed or um, we do business at the altar every day. And so if that's you, if you said, Caleb, as you talked, I felt something in my heart begin to beat. I want to ask you to come to the altar today and begin to pray. But how we'll close, um, the worship team is going to lead us for a moment. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Pastor Seth again, who's going to lead us into the next, in God willing, into the next season of prayer being more foundational into our church life. I'm going to ask Pastor Seth to come and pray as well. So if you would, worship team, just kind of worship with me and, and we'll just kind of let the Lord speak. Let's begin to pray, church. Again, the altars are open. Come get in the altar if you felt the Holy Spirit poke you. Father, we do not want to be a stale church. Lord, we're okay with being called fanatical. We're okay with being called emotional. Lord, that's fine. That's fine, Lord. Just don't let my kids grow up in a stale church with a dad with a cold heart. Lord, we want our grandkids to know us as people of prayer. We want them to hear prayer. Lord, you know in our, in our left to ourselves, God, you know we're selfish. And Lord, you know we're carnal. And you know that we have our own interests at mind. Teach us to die in the place of prayer. Take us, Lord, to our own graveside. Teach us what it means to be living sacrifices, Lord. Holy Spirit, help us to put to death our flesh, our own agendas, our own motives. Lord, lead us beyond the place of bickering and drama, Lord. Bring us to a place of real prayer where we cry, God, let your kingdom alone come. It's not about me, God. It's about you. Teach us to pray the prayers with the Moravians. They say Jesus is worthy to receive the full reward of his suffering. Jesus, you said, if I be lifted up, I draw all men unto myself. We hold you to that word. Surely you were lifted up on the cross of Calvary. Holy Spirit, draw all men in our region to Jesus. Let our eyes gaze upon him alone. Oh, church, pray with me. Let our eyes gaze upon him alone. Every idol fall right now in Jesus' name. The idol of entertainment, the idol of pleasure. Come and crumble at the name of Jesus. Oh God, make us a praying people. Lord, forgive us for our prayerlessness. We need you. Just pray that with me. We need you, God. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Father, on multiple occasions in the scripture, you say that your eyes roam to and fro looking for a man to stand in the gap. Find us in the gap, God. Find us crying out for this region. Find us crying out for this city. When your eyes look for an intercessor, find this church hot with prayer, God. It's about you, Lord. It's for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need you. We need you. We need you. Seth, come and pray for us. In the spirit of prayer, I want to 
take a moment just to release a couple words of healing that we felt the Lord give us this morning with our prayer ministry team. This morning we felt like there was a couple people here, whether you're watching or whether you're in the house, that, that if you have pain in your hand, specifically a pinky or in, your, or in the left hand, the Lord is here. He's here to move. The Holy Spirit is here to provide healing for you this morning. We also believe that the Lord has given us a word that there is a person by the name of Jim Hope that you've been struggling with kidney disease, that you've been struggling with weight loss, you've been struggling with hopelessness, and that this morning the Lord is speaking to you and he's wanting to bring you encouragement and comfort. He's wanting to bring you healing this morning. Amen. And last, there was a word of healing for the left heel or instep that you've been experiencing pain in your arch and your foot. And so we, as a church, we just believe that the Lord speaks to us today. He speaks to us in, in ways that specifically let us know that he loves us. And so this morning, if that's you, I want to just open the altar again here, that there's people already here praying. But if that was something specific for you, whether it was the pain in the left hand, if, you're, if you know a, a person by the name of Jim Hope or if you are Jim Hope, you're struggling with kidney disease or weight loss, or if you have a pain in your left heel or your foot, then come to the altar, find a ministry team person, let them pray for you and believe for healing this morning. But church, let's begin. Come on. I, I believe that if you want to continue to step into the altar this morning, that this place, let this be in a place of regeneration in your heart. Let the altar, let this morning be a place where the Holy Spirit breathes afresh upon us today. That you don't leave this place the same that the way that you came in. One of the fundamental things about prayer, this is something my pastor used to tell us, that one of the most fundamental things about prayer is that things happen when we pray that do not happen if we don't pray. Amen? Therefore, if we do not pray, there is something that goes undone in our lives or in the lives of those that we love if we do not pray. So come on, let's begin. Let's, I just want to encourage you. I believe that as you begin to open up your hearts this morning, that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to release a boldness in your life to begin to be a person of prayer. That as you open up your mouth, as you begin to cry out to the Lord, that the Lord is going to meet with you this morning and begin to activate inside of your heart a desire to pray and to make this house of prayer. So Lord, right now, let's just begin to cry for boldness. I just believe that that's the word this morning. As, as the Moravians pray for boldness, let's cry for boldness. So Father, Lord, before we leave this place this morning, we need to ask for you to move in our hearts and our lives. We need to ask for your boldness to come inside of us. Lord, we are crying out to give us boldness in this hour, to give us boldness in this day. Give us boldness in our lives, boldness for our families. Lord, to cry out for your spirit to move. Boldness for this city, boldness for this church, boldness for this nation, God. Boldness for the nations, for the world, Lord. Lord, for your gospel to go forth. Lord, I believe, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, you're wanting to activate it to burden our hearts for a deeper desire, Lord, to spend time in the intimate place with you, to begin to learn how to pray. So, Lord, we ask to teach us to pray today. Teach us to pray the prayers, Lord, Lord, in the upper room. Teach us, Lord, to, te to, to pray, Lord, the prayers Lord, that they were crying out for a move of the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us the, pray the prayers, Lord, of our lives that, that you would give us, Lord, the fuel to make us your fire, Lord, today. Lord, Holy Spirit, we surrender to you. We want this house to be a house of prayer, to be a house of visitation, 
to be a house of your glory. Lord, riches and houses, cars and lands, God, they're all gonna pass away, but your glory remains, Lord. Your glory is what we desire, Lord. Your glory upon our lives, upon our families, upon this house and this nation, Lord, is what we're crying out for today, Lord. Lord, we, we, we pray together, Lord, let every idol fall in the name of Jesus. Lord, any idol in our lives that's risen up and taken its place instead of you, Lord, we ask that your fire would burn in this morning, cast it down, and let Jesus be exalted in our lives once again. Lord, teach us to be a praying people. Teach us to be a praying people. Teach us to be a praying church today, God. We're gonna continue just to have altars open. If you need to stay, linger, continue to to press into prayer, we're gonna do so. But church... I believe that this is an hour where the Lord is calling us to meet with him, to agree with him. Let's not waste this hour. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you, it's sealing us today, sealing us everything that you've spoken, everything you're doing in us. We love you. We love your presence. There's nothing we wouldn't do for more of you, God. We love your presence, Lord. Sealing us, Holy Spirit your good work in us, sealing us your word this morning. And Lord, we pray, make us thy fuel, O flame of God. For this this area, this church, this region, Lord, for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you need to stay, you're welcome to do so. If you need to go, we bless you. We love you guys so much. We love this church. We love what the Lord's doing. But feel free to stay if you want. You're dismissed officially this morning, though. Sure.